Hello and welcome to Making Me, where I speak with the writers of Make Me about the inspiration and experience behind the story. I'm creator of Make Me, Hayley Rickardson, and today I'm speaking with L. Dylan Reams, writer and performer of Meet, episode three of Make Me. Hello. Hello. Welcome, Elle, to the virtual world of, of interviewing. Thank you for having me in the virtual world. <laughs> now, Meet is, I think, a particularly exciting episode. But just to start with, what, uh, what about the Make Me brief kind of, kind of drew you in to want to be part of the project with the incredibly vague description of let's, let's talk about identity? I think um, the me... Uh, Lockdown resulted in lots and lots of introspective thinking and thinking about who you were and and where you were in your life and what defined you as you. And whilst that brought about some positive things, it also brought about some negative things. In particular, I was kind of processing and struggling with the idea that I even though it was locked down and there was this like, you know, you're safe from like the pressures of society. Whenever I was going out for a run or a walk, I was still being catcalled and my boyfriend wasn't. And it was like, oh no, wait, well, hang on. This thing of lockdown being like, everything's put on pause. That's not been put on pause. That's, if anything, louder. Well, when did that first happen? That happened when I was like nine. I'm now 31. Most of my life has been defined by the fact that I am female presenting and my gender is one that, I don't know, there's a massive gender imbalance. I'm not, it's not brand new news. And a question about visibility and regardless of what was going on internally, externally, if you present a certain way, yeah, what is identity? That was a quite a waffly way of saying it. I love we we love waffly. I'm all about <laughs> that's, that's my identity. I think I'm pretty sure. Um, well, and yeah, that's sort of with with me. Like sexuality is is you know not every woman's biggest identifier, or or kind mm. of consciously may even not be a huge part of their you know quote unquote identity to them. But you know you chose to explore this element of identity and the in particular the experience of it and mm. sexuality and then also being sexualized mm. so talk me through that journey a bit why why sort of sexualized versus sexuality uh it's that thing of like autonomy and choice I was really interested in like if it's on it's on an individual's terms and there's autonomy about it. And it's like, you're looking at my, like I did um, just before lockdown, I did a show in which I was doing burlesque and was like, oh, this is super empowering because it's like, you're looking at me in a way where I've decided what your gaze is and I'm in control and I'm the puppeteer. And I say when you can look and when you can make noise, but ultimately I have control here. Whereas on your everyday, you know, wearing a hoodie and running to get a coffee or something and then still getting someone yell about the fact that you possess tits. You're like, ah, oh, I'm feeling sexualized and then really shit about that. It's not a compliment. It makes me feel 
shit and it makes me feel unsafe and was interested because my mum is nearing 60 and she and I had a bit of a conversation about it and I think it must have even been like pre-lockdown where she was like oh yeah you just become invisible once you hit a certain age as a woman Mm. um and I'm as an actor really aware that it's like right you've got a couple of good years playing mums and then unless you're Judy Dench or Helen Mirren like or Meryl Streep otherwise forget about it and I was like this this question of like visibility invisibility because I could feel myself saying but sometimes I just want to be invisible sometimes I just want to be able to carry out my day to day and be invisible but then I was like who do I want to be invisible from I want to be invisible from men and their comments and then there's a safety thing that's coming into this that it was it's basically I was like oh interested in this personally artistically kind of started pulling at a thread and then the whole of Pandora's box of the biggest can of worms ever opened and I was like ah this is huge (laughs) Um, and I don't have an answer and I still don't have an answer which is why I thought I'd write a play about that makes sense that makes sense I think mm. um yeah I mean it's a it's a difficult thing to really I don't know get any kind of answer to but I you know I remember reading your pitch and loving this idea of framing the exploration of of almost womanhood like that journey from sort of girl to teenager to woman child to teenager to adult you know into a kind of superhero origin story and mm. I think it adds this whole kind of new flavor to it all that that people don't um wouldn't necessarily think of straight away but where where did that come from that that came from I for ages wanted to write something for young women because I was like I like I want to I want to tap into like the point where you're like 13 and it's and even earlier and it's really it's such a volatile landscape and it's like you learn your code through those around you and it is told as gospel that it's like if you do that you'll think you're a slut if you snog him though level up um you can't wear that you can wear this don't smile with your mouth open do you know all of these rules you learn and I was like and also this hide tampons up your sleeves don't God's sake, do not let anyone know that you are bleeding. Oh my God, disgusting. I was like, okay, well, there is so much shame around female puberty. And, you know, it's reflected in sex ed. In sex ed, like we hear about um, the penis and we hear about like condom putting on. And there is such little exploration of female pleasure. And so it becomes this like, okay, well, if you're not learning about it here, and it's this disgusting underground, we don't talk about it, then shame starts to encroach. Like shame isn't something we're born with, it's something we learn. And so I was like, well, well, what if you flip reverse that and put hitting puberty as someone female was empowering, not shameful, and that it came with strength, not vulnerability. What if we had a superhero story? And it was interesting. Whenever I said that to people, they were like, there are female superheroes, uh, Wonder Woman. And I was like, yeah, Wonder Woman. But like, A, she's she's pretty dated. I know they've like re-energized her for like a modern day audience. But she's still someone who's like very white, very thin, very beautiful um, and like 
classically model attractive Catwoman. Again, she's sexualized. She's in this like PVC cat suit. Uh, uh, and I was like, there isn't, there isn't someone who's just like rough and ready. We don't have a Wolverine. And I want to find a Wolverine for women if I can. And then I saw, and I was kind of, ticking, I've been ticking away with that idea for a while and not quite knowing how to make it into something. And then I saw uh, Claire Barron's Dance Nation, uh, which is a brilliant play. Um, and I was I was doing it with um, an acting foundation group I was working with and then lockdown here and it, they were like, will we still do the play? And I was like, yeah, over Zoom. And then it didn't happen and it was really sad, but it was really wonderful to explore. Like the idea is it's a group of, uh, young dancers, young female dancers um, in a dance school who are uh, competing in Florida, um, a bit like the series Dance Mums, and they are almost animalistic in their competitiveness. And it is a bit gory and a bit fucked up. And but you walk away from it like, fuck yeah, women, and fuck yeah, teenage girls who are so often disregarded. Um, I mean, teenage boys are as well, but yeah, this is this is the area that I was focusing on. Mm. Um, yeah, I think the the superhero thing is we we have some some great female superheroes in a lot of respects, but it's kind of like that statistic around for every woman on screen, there's sort of two point five male characters or something. It's yeah. the same kind of thing mm-hmm. with superheroes, or maybe worse, like. We just got a Black Widow film after how many Thors and how many Iron Mans and how many, you know, yeah. Captain Americas and, you know. That- and again, it's like she's played by Scarlett Johansson, who's like pinup, mm. you know. Mm. Every, everyone who plays the superheroes, and I know it's like it's Hollywood. And this is what I mean when I'm like, you start to pull at it and you're like, well, if you put someone who looked not like a pinup on stage, then the film wouldn't make any money. Mm. So what do you do? I think I think you've got a little bit more freedom. And again, it's like we're doing an audio piece, so I don't need to tell you what this what these people look like. Mm. You you can imagine them for yourself. But yeah, I, I, again, it's 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 better now. Like you don't have just women on stage as they were, you know, uh, or on screen rather as they were 20, 30, 50 years ago. It, it's still not good enough. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly still something worth challenging and continuing to challenge because obviously that's the only way you can create change. I think that's also sort of drawing on that, that's part of what is so great about this episode is that it's both relatable and kind of fantastical and there's all these moments of really direct, you know, oh, God, I know that feeling. I know that, that thought process. I know that, like, that shame, like you said, and then also animating it to a point where it is a bit larger than life or it is you know just fantastic and then so then in saying that there's it also has this real sort of hope and love and strength in the story and in and in the the young woman character but that's also sort of cut through with the the dark bitter reality of what it can be like for young women going from child to teenager to adult in the eyes of men in particular yeah like was that those two things did they kind of just come out in the writing naturally or was it something you always wanted to sort of intertwine I think it was a conscious choice because it's like if I if I just go through my story or a woman's story as a as a naturalistic thing and it becomes this kind of like 
Shane Meadows grit of like depressive reality that leaves people with no hope. A, people don't want to listen to that. And B, who's that serving? Because anyone who I want to listen to it will switch off. And also it's like, like art can be therapeutic, but it's not therapy. And so it needs to serve. It's like, what are you, why are you making this? And it's like, well, I want to, I want to empower and I want to make people feel hopeful and, 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 and play with the fantastical, particularly because it's audio. It's like, well, well leave this in your imagination because hope, maybe it will spark something and maybe it will spark just a little glimmer of a possibility. And also then it's open to, it's open to an interpretation where like, you know, some listeners will walk away from it and be like, oh, that was all like a weird dream sequence. And like, really, it's very depressing. And other people will be like, no, 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 because this is what happens and da, 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 da. Yeah, like there has to be, there has to be an uplift. Again, where, why there's like, hopefully, <laughs> I think it's funny. There's quite <laughs> a lot of comedy in it because it's like, you've got to laugh at the ridiculousness. No one's going to sit through a 40 minute episode of tragedy. I don't know, maybe they will. But particularly at the moment, I like I, I, that, I don't think that serves, it doesn't serve listeners, it doesn't serve me, it doesn't serve anyone that I was collaborating with on this. Um, so we have to find the light um, because there is a light, there has to be a light, there has to be some sort of hope and play and enjoyment. And so comedy really feeds that as does going, okay, well, what if? Like we're story weavers now. We don't have to play by the rules of like, this is a strict play-by-play narrative of exactly what happens and it's only verbatim like we can we can make it a little bit more magic and zany than that yeah I sort of there is something really wonderful about it being an audio story in that respect because you can it really activates your imagination kind of the mix of of sound and then your words and the the sort of animated nature of it all it really like as much as you can kind of see it in your head being this this amazing fun stage play or, or you know something on screen or anything like that there is also something really exciting about letting it play out in your head and letting mm. the the words kind of show it to you it's a lot more intimate I think mm. like me and um so I had the wonderful Edwina as my director and we were talking a lot about like because people will listen to this maybe on headphones or maybe on a device but it's not like a you don't listen to it with a collective room of people and your reaction isn't influenced by sitting in a theatre with 200 other people. It's, it's kind of just for you. And so it's like, okay, how can we make this like entertaining and pleasurable and fun? And so like we, we were breaking all of that down and being like, okay, when does it get too heavy? When does it need an injection of light or life? And same with like Portia and Ema, who's made the amazing sound design on it. It was like, okay, what's being talked about here is potentially a little bit dark. So we need a a beat that undercuts that, that makes it feel funky. And like, without realizing you're kind of grooving along to it in order to make it accessible, like finding those juxtapositions, because otherwise you've got a choice as an audio piece to just go, ah, enough. Yeah, yeah. Coming back to the whole identity element, this piece I find really plays with the line between how a young woman sees herself becoming a woman and then how Mm. others, men in particular, see Mm. girls becoming women. So there's, there's a kind of, there's that complexity in how women see themselves and 
see themselves through the eyes of others. Yeah. You know, again, men in particular when growing up. Yeah. And that's, you know, not to say that this doesn't happen for the opposite sex or for other gender identities, but I think this piece really speaks to that constant negotiation for young women kind of seeing themselves through the eyes of others as opposed to their own. Mm-hmm. Did that did that feature heavily when you were writing it or was that quite conscious when it was being written and or performed? Uh, again, it was like the visibility thing and thinking about, oh, I've always been really aware of male gaze and I've been taught since I was really young of how to adapt my behaviour because regardless of what I do, how I am seen, I actually have no control over it. Yeah, like I, you know, me and my sister were told at quite a young age, when you're walking on your own, you walk with your head up constantly, like you look like you know where you're going, and you don't make eye contact with people. Mm-hmm. And I've got two younger brothers, and they weren't ever told that. And I was like, ah, there's a real vast difference. And same with like, at school, kind of all, all kids are meshed together. And then suddenly there's this big divide of like, oh, girls, wait to take your tops off until the boys have left. Wait, wait. And suddenly being at the beach, it's like, no, no, you need to wear a bikini now. Mm. You're like, I've still got nothing there, but I've got to wear a bikini because this is shameful. And it's not about me. It's not how I feel. It's about, yeah, but if you don't, people will look. And you you are now an object of potential desire. And whether or not you've decided you're sexual and your sexuality is now there, it's always there. And this, yeah, this, and then I think that feeds psychologically back into this idea that's like, yeah, but women then have to, um, and I realise I'm being quite binary in my language, so forgive me, that uh, that women are told you have to um, mature way faster than men and boys can be boys a lot longer and be messy and make mistakes and it's like women have got to be more put together don't take your shirt off when you score a goal you're not allowed I can't even remember what your question was that got us here (laughs) (laughs) the Pandora's box unweaving I know right it's the it's the thing once you start talking about it it just becomes becomes bigger because I think it's it's remarkable how we yeah we keep having to have that same conversation and it feels like you get sort of only so far with it and because obviously attitudes and behaviors can take a while to really shift and change and and I get all that but it is it I think this piece really made me reflect on well sure you know everyone's going to have different views and and you know things can take a while to change but in the meantime it does mean like I feel like so many you know myself yourself so many women we know would have had that same experience of just constant mm. like it's like you get yeah, you get thrown all these rules and all these kind of lines when you're growing up of like, this is how other people will see you. This is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. This is what this means. This is what that means. And so you kind of get wound up into this tight little ball by the time you're sort of in your early twenties. And by the time you get to about 30, it's like, you have to unpick and unravel all of it to start to make sense of like, hang on a sec. What do I think? What do I want? What do I like? What, you know, what is this all? And it's not the same for everyone, I guess, but. But I think that, and that's the thing that's, I've tapped into a real um, anger in the last few years that like, I wasn't really, I don't know, like allowed to possess. It was like, you're a woman, so you can cry and you can be vulnerable and you can be weak. And and like men, again, being very binary, forgive me. 
mm. can be angry and can hit things and it's like you know that toxic masculinity and that patriarchy it doesn't serve any gender male female or other but yet you know women have been told how to manipulate their behavior the met police's statements after sarah everard's case have have left us fuming mm. fuming like i can't believe we're still talking about it and their best advice is like you should know about your uh, about legal legislation you should be doing this you should be doing this and it's going hang on no 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 women have already been adapting their behavior since they were like since they were nine since they were eight we all know these things we know how to text me when you get home we're all doing it it's not down to us anymore to do the work yeah and I think yeah, you can tell there's a bit of anger in my writing and I I felt years and years of learning not to be too angry and not to write anything too violent suddenly getting like a bit of a vulnerability hangover when I listened to the whole thing first of all because being like am I allowed to say something like this I was like yeah if I was like mediocre middle-aged white man I wouldn't give a shit sorry my lad's swear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. I think, well, as a final kind of yeah comment and question then, um, because as you say that, I do, I remember like the first chat that we had about this piece when you were, when you were going to write it and it was like this explosion of ideas and feelings and memories and like a lot of fuck yeah moments and then, and then anger and sadness mm-hmm. and all, all that stuff. So what to finish on, what, what's at the heart of this story for you? Strength. I think strength and bravery and connection and community, a rediscovery of autonomy and in the unpicking of all of that, which we've just discussed, knowing that it can be really messy. There's no neat bows. (laughs) There's no beautiful tying up and everyone does a curtsy. It's a lot more unruly and risky but I think that's important. There's lots of words that run with E there. <laughs> I haven't given you one clean statement. <laughs> so I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. It's an unruly answer for an unruly question. On an <laughs> Thank you so much for chatting with me, Elle, and for being Thank part you. of Make Me. Ah, my pleasure. Thanks for asking. Elle Dylan Reams is an actor, playwright and poet based in London and you can find her at www.ldylanreams.com That's E-L-L-E-D-I-L-L-O-N-R-E-A-M-S You can find more details about Elle, Meet and Make Me on Flugelman Productions socials at underscore Flugelman or website www.flugelman.com Thanks for listening.